0: And what a blessing it is to have our our friend Dan McCullum. How many of you have heard Dan before? Wave your hand. Okay, so for a lot of you, Dan is Dan is new, and so I just want you to know that Dan has been a friend of this house for somewhere under a hundred years. <laughs> I just stopped trying to calculate after a while, and uh, Dan uh, goes way back. He's a part of the vac- the mission that's in Vacaville, and and. The the mission in Vacaville has been kind of a parallel church in journeys. We both were lined up with Graham Cook for season. Graham was kind of one of our key mentors. And uh, what they were going through, we were going through. And the journey has been so, so similar. And Dan is, is a prophet. Um, he carries like a, a strong apostolic anointing with that prophet gifting. And uh, so I just want you to come ready to receive like... When Dan stands up here, you're not know, going to go, who is this guy? <laughs> I want, but when he stands up here, I want him to feel that you are like, I want every ounce of revelation that you have. And I want him, I want him to, to feel us drawing on that gifting because we're not here today to have a good service. We're here to receive missing pieces We're here to receive revelation that's going to take us forward. And so Dan has precious things for us us this morning. And Marcy, why don't you introduce Bethany?
1: Yeah, so also we want to introduce Bethany Hicks. So Bethany uh, works with Dan. They work together. They have worked together to build um, what they can give more context to, but a, a prophetic company. They're training prophetic people in ways that really no one else is doing it and Nikki's been a part of that and Nikki is taking that and now she's doing prophetic trainings here as many of you know and have been to and so so much fruit already happening from what both of you have and are doing and Bethany is a Prophetic voice and builder and amazing woman, amazing woman with a lot to offer. So I want to just quickly, you can come on up, but um, we do go way back. Um, we have history with Dan, and, and it was just really coming out last night as he was meeting with our staff, and I was remembering how we would sit around in the 90s and with Graham and dream. And it was like, God was like, this is fruit of what you dreamed of in the 90s. And I saw this picture um, this morning of, well, last night actually, of the ground. It was like what we had sown in the ground was shifting and moving and causing the ground we were standing on to rise up. And the best language I have right now is, I feel like our history and our present and our future is converging today. Dan McCollum has one of the most innovative gifts I've ever known on anybody. His prophetic realm is so unique, and I felt like God is doing something right now. If you feel like, oh, it, it might even almost feel like, I feel uncomfortable, it's because God is shaking something up today, and I'm telling you that he is doing something today that we're going to, it's going to mark us for where we're going. That's my best language.
2: Wow. Wow, I'm feeling pressure now. <laughs> feeling really loved, really received, but yeah, no pressure, just uh, mark us for the rest of our lives. And take it away. (laughs) I would do that if I could. I just want you to know. (laughs) But the Lord has already marked you. It's true. The Lord has already marked you. We just want to figure out what those marks are. (laughs) What they are and what they're for. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So many things in my heart for you today that, uh, that don't worry, that's not a length statement, okay? I I've, I've felt hope go out of the room there for a moment. It's like, oh, my God, this is going to be long. <laughs> no, I'll choose one of them, I promise. <laughs> oh, yeah, but I, I think it is the fact just that our, our journeys are so similar as houses, uh, between your house and my house and, and our journey together. That first of all, I just feel really at home. I'm thankful for that. Um, and uh, my heart is just full of vision for you. And just full of hope for you. Uh, Marcy, you just said something that, I don't know. I I was contemplating a few different directions this morning. And that leads in one of those kind of three that I had in front of me, none of which are actually prepared on paper, <laughs> I just prepared by heart. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you know in a football game when they call an audible, I think that's what's going on right now, <laughs> it's like we had a play, it would have been smooth, it would have been good, but then comes the audible, so everybody has to switch positions real quick. So, this is just me switching position. There's such a, an anointing on the house uh, in this realm of uh, almost a prayer house, but it's not a prayer house, you know. Um, and, and I was hearing it in the worship today, and... There is a huge need for our doxology and our theology to line up that who we are and what we believe should be what we're singing, you know, and right now there is this, worship was wonderful, by the way, but right now there is this swirl between where we've been and where we're going. Um. And it, and it hasn't landed yet. It's good, but it hasn't landed yet. And I think I have some direction for you in that regard today. Um, and, and so it's going to be a little bit of a house word. I actually prepared a very personal word, kind of applies to every person. I think I'm going to speak a little bit of a house word today. Um, so this is kind of over all y'all, using the Texas plural. I'm... I'm Just learning Texan. Uh, I've been in California for 25 years. Forgive me, I'm one of the Californians that moved to Texas. But not for the reasons that everybody else did. I actually was sent here. uh, Not just, you know, buying up real estate and running your prices up. But hey, you can thank me that your home value went up so much, okay? Unless you're trying to buy Then I bless you and receive your forgiveness. (laughs) All right. So um, as uh, Steve and Marcy were saying, uh, we have this prophetic call in our life. We're called the prophetic company. Our mission is to rewrite what the prophetic looks like in our generation, not because what has gone before is bad, But, you know, there's a difference between spending an inheritance and investing an inheritance. And the kingdom of God is not about spending the inheritance of Christ. It's about living in the inheritance and investing it to see the increase of the kingdom never end. And there's a lot of people who spend the inheritance but don't invest it. So it only lasts one generation. It doesn't become a generational blessing. And uh, to do that, you have to be a contributor, not just a consumer. You can't come to church to consume just the goods that are in the atmosphere and in the body. You have to, at some point, be a contributor to shift from that spending the inheritance of Christ to enjoying it, but also investing it for increase to see this continual increase of the kingdom of God happening. Are you tracking with me so far? Because this is going to be some assembly required. I'm just telling you right now. Uh, that, that's how an audible works. It's just going to be some assembly required. We all have to shift a little bit. Okay. So um, uh, as, the, as the prophetic company rewriting what the prophetic looks like. I believe it's an invitation to our generation. I really believe that. I believe it's an invitation to walk fully in what New Covenant prophetic looks like. Um, there's been this this mixture of old and new together, and I want to be very clear. Jesus did not abolish the old. He fulfilled the old, but he fulfilled it so he could establish a new. And when we take the old and the new and we mix them together, we come up with this freaky Frankenstein prophetic that's half mean and angry and half powerful and joyful and it confuses people and it hurts people and we've got to come fully into the covenant that is ours through the blood of Christ because the only way to get back to the old one is to step across the blood of Christ and I don't want to do that I don't want to make the blood of Jesus of no effect (laughs) The Old Testament, the prophetic, is all about repentance and bringing us back to God, okay? But realize that because you were created to be connected with God, repentance only br- that type of repentance only brings you back to zero. There's a deeper realm of repentance in the kingdom of God. In the New Covenant, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That repent is not so much coming out of the old but thinking into the new it's actually a renewing of your mind it's actually allowing new paradigms new ways of thinking to come in to 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 guide your journey to define your reality and I believe that the prophetic in a lot of ways to this point has pointed out what's wrong um which I believe in the new covenant is actually the job of the Holy Spirit Not the job of the prophetic And if we're always only fixing what's wrong, how many know that's just maintenance mode and we're not really building anything We're not really creating anything we're not we're not building or advancing the kingdom of God We're only maintaining What's broke, and it's kind of like that squeaky wheel syndrome, where the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And when our prophetic is focused on finding out what's wrong and calling that out, we actually, the problem with that is you never actually displace what's wrong. You only like try to, try to fix it up a little bit. But the strongest form of warfare is displacement. So we we don't want to use the prophetic to find what's wrong. We want to use the prophetic to find what's missing. We want to use the prophetic to find answers. (laughs) Come on. Jesus is the answer. But he's not just. He's not just the answer in the sense that when you come into Jesus, you automatically have all the answers. But when you come into Jesus, you have access to the answers Because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in the person of Jesus. And I believe that we have an opportunity right now as a generation. There actually is a prophetic revival on the face of the earth right now. There are more people prophesying on the face of the earth than any time in history. Now, why does that matter? Wait a minute, you didn't catch that. I'm sorry, you might know it, but you didn't catch it. Do you know how important it is to know the season that you're in and the day of your visitation? Because the Pharisees prayed for something desperately that they missed when it came. That they actually persecuted when it came. (laughs) So it's important to know what season you're in and what you're supposed to do with it. It's important to know that the prophetic, it's not just another wave of the fad of the prophetic. What's happening with the prophetic is this. Jesus said in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. God has always had a dream that every person would know his thoughts. God has always had a dream that every person would know his heart. God has had a dream that every person would absolutely know his voice. And when we're talking about the spirit being poured out on all flesh, we're talking about the dignifying of sons and daughters of God. There's a fad to talk about social justice today, and social justice is super important. It's part of what I'm talking about. But all social justice starts with the restoration of dignity. There's a big difference between mercy ministries that help out in the need. And social justice ministries that actually restore a person's dignity and empower them to live forward. A lot of... A lot of what the church has been doing is pastoring the old nature, the old man, out of his dysfunction rather than pastoring the new creation into his destiny. And so all we do is have this revolving door of getting out of our dysfunctions, but we don't realize that our our destiny is what displaces our dysfunction. You actually can't sustainably get out of your dysfunction without knowing your destiny because that's what's supposed to occupy that space. Your dysfunctions are the void of vision. Without vision, people cast off restraint. Without vision, people perish. When Israel was doing bad, it's because there were not many visions. There was not much prophetic vision. But God said, in these last days, right here, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And every son and daughter can prophesy. And there will be visions and there will be dreams. God didn't just. Empower every believer so we could encourage one another. That's the foundation of prophecy, and it's vital and important But what are we encouraging one another in? God wants to sow his thoughts into every one of you God wants to empower you to think like him God wants to empower you to live impossible Christianity should not be hard. It should be impossible. If you can live it without Him, you got the wrong thing. Because it is not a moral code. It is not an ethical system. It it, it is not just structure and principle. It is abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in you. This is the hope of glory. This is the mystery that was revealed for generations. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's as if there was a season where the church got its eyes more on the blessed hope, the return of Christ, than the hope of glory, Christ already in you. And it created a a distance in our relationship with Christ where we always felt like we were courting God from a distance. And, 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 And even our songs sometimes took on. This idea of distance, of, you know, Lord, come and Holy Spirit, come and do all this kind of stuff. And and you'd walk away from a worship service with separation anxiety. Because the mystery revealed, the mystery that was hidden for generations that has now been revealed in our time is that Christ is already in you. That the hope of glory is already in you. That the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are accessible to you, and the prophetic grace that's upon us in the last days is to manifest God's idea in every area of society. Hallelujah. Wow. That every one of you now have access to a God idea that is a cultural disruption, that is a cultural displacement. We are moving in the prophetic from protesters to reformers. Protesters stand outside the gate with signs and declare what's wrong, what's bad, what's going on. And, and, and there is a time for that. But that is not the season that we are in. We are not in a protester season. We are in a reformer season. And a reformer gets inside of the system and finds out what's good about what already exists, but what's better about the future. And they take us on a pathway from what is good to what is better. And I'm telling you that there is a cultural reformation that is awaiting a a revelation of the prophetic grace that's on us. There is a grace upon you to be a cultural reformer. I... There is a grace up on you like no generation in history to be a cultural reformer if you can get a hold of this. And so what happens is it's okay to use the prophetic to spot what the problem is, but you must also use the prophetic to spot what the answer is. And then you have to be willing to become the answer, not just declare the answer. You have to be willing to become the answer. Mary was such a pivotal point in history because she said, may it be in me as you have said. It's time for an incarnational prayer. It's time not just to say, Lord, send the revival. It's time to say, God, I am the revival. I will go. I will be revival. I will be transformation. It's time to not wait on heaven as much as heaven is waiting on us to come into agreement. The earth is groaning and travailing, actually not for the return of Christ, but for the sons and daughters of God to figure out who they are and shine. And there is this prophetic reformation that's available to us right now, again, More people prophesying on the earth than any time in history. Let it land, guys. Let it land. If you can't see that, if you can't see how unique that is, if you can't see how 400 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Joel says, this is the mark of the last days. This is the mark of the sign that you should look for. This is what began on the day of Pentecost where the church was actually birthed, where the ecclesia was actually birthed. It was birthed through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh so every son and daughter could prophesy. Do you know how Old Testament prophets started? On Mount Horeb, God showed up and he invited the whole, all of Israel to come up to the mountain and experience in him. But God's majesty was on the mountain and he was coming in fire and he was coming in thunder and his voice was like a trumpet and it freaked the people out and scared them. And they ran down the mountain. They said, God, you're too scary for us. Talk to him and let him tell us. That was the rejection of the priesthood of the believer. That was the start of the covenant, really, of, of darkness and distance. That was where we established a mediator between God and man other than Jesus Christ. You were built with an innate God connection. And when deep cries out to deep, what is crying out is not for a connection That doesn't exist. What is crying out is to realize the connection that has come through the person of Jesus Christ. So prophets in the New Testament can't even be. Can't even be what prophets were in the Old Testament. It's impossible. That's why in Ephesians 4 when it talks about prophets it says this. It says when Jesus ascended he gave gifts to men. And those gifts were apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry, to come into the full knowledge of the Son of God, attaining to the unity of the faith until we all come up to the stature of the measure of fullness that belongs to the person of Jesus. This is actually the mandate of New Testament prophets and gives us some unveiling of New Testament prophecy. But I want you to think about this. It says when God ascended, he gave gifts of apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. Why did he have to give a gift of prophet if prophets already existed? Why did God have to give... Why did Jesus, once he ascended, gave a gift of apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists? When we already had prophets on the earth when he ascended. Because the type of prophet he was creating... Was different than the type of prophet they had. Because it's an entirely new creation. It is a new covenant. It is a new law. It is a new realm. And I know that. Okay why are we talking about prophets. That doesn't apply to everybody. Because it is a culture of empowerment. It is a culture of of equipping It is a culture of everyone connecting with the thoughts of God, everyone connecting with the voice of God, everyone connecting with the heart of God, and that's the prophetic side that we can get the intel, but the apostolic is that we would know the mission that God has sent us on. And so in Ephesians 2 and 20, he says the church is built on a foundation of apostles and prophets. In other words, we need an apostolic mission for the prophetic vision. In other words, what are we supposed to do with all the information we're receiving? There is a purpose that pulls you forward and that destiny is what displaces your dysfunction. I'm with you I'm with you. Um, so Marcy was talking about the I'm sorry, I was yelling, I'm just excited. I, I, I'm not trying to go preacher on you. I'm just excited about what I'm talking about, but but Marcy was talking about a convergence of our past and our present and our future and uh, and I wanted to speak in a little bit again to the prayer house here and the culture. Um, the cultural revolution that's going on in this place and in this day, in this generation. This culture of a of a prophetic that looks different, a culture of prophetic that is providing answers, not pointing out problems, that are reformers and not protesters that are actually uh, releasing the revelation of abiding and Christ in us rather than calling us to a connection that already exists. And 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 there is this convergence convergence convergence. As a matter of fact, when I was preparing to come here, I was actually asking the Lord, to be quite truthful, I was like, "Lord, is it time for a name change for convergence as they're entering a new season?" I asked that about 2 weeks ago. I was like, "Lord, is it time for a name change for convergence, because there's such a new season upon you that is about to break forth. And uh, now as I stand here, I know the answer. No. <laughs> it's the perfect name for this time. It's the perfect name for this season. And so let me just speak into the prayer house piece for a moment, and I will make it applicable to every person Uh Not just because the prayer house is not just an event. It's a it's a culture. It's a mentality. Okay, Um, it's it's not just a function of the church. It's it. It it is a reality that we want to talk about. Okay, so David's tabernacle. I'm just going to talk about this because most prayer houses are loosely patterned after David's tabernacle. Uh, What time are you guys done, by the way? No, no, no. Thank you. But yes, what time are you actually done? Perfect. Thank you. That's all I needed to know. Kids dismiss at 12. We can't really go beyond kids because we all know what happens. It's so unkind to the children's workers. You know, it's, it's just awkward. So here we go. Let's dive in. In First Chronicles chapter 25, it says, Now David and his commanders appointed musicians to prophesy on their harps, their lutes, their lyres, their cymbals, all right? They appointed them for the work of prophesying on instruments. Okay, so first of all, it's really important because of the wonderful prayer movement that uh, has happened. Really, it was kind of birthed in the 80s and, you know, International House of Prayer in Kansas City and all that, which is so beautiful, so powerful. But a lot of people have defined tabernacle of David by the prayer house model and not by the prophetic model. Not to say those aren't prophetic. They are prophetic. But we need to understand that the tabernacle of David was actually a place primarily of prophecy. It was prophecy. Okay, so in 1 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 1, it says, David and the commanders of the army. Do you realize that it was the Department of Defense that set up 24 7 worship? That ought to be a clue right there. That ought to be a clue how important it was. And it was part of the cultural reformation of Israel. Israel went through an incredible cultural reformation at that time, and part of it was this. They made, David's tabernacle made the presence of God accessible to every individual, almost outside of its own covenant. It's like what used to only be available to the priests is now available to everybody, So the first thing about David's tabernacle, it was a picture of what would come under the new covenant where everyone would have access to the manifest presence of God and the glory of God. Because remember, when Jesus died on the cross, curtain number two ripped in the tabernacle from the top to the bottom, which shows God ripped it. He ripped it from top to bottom. And what was behind curtain two? The highest manifestation... Of the presence of God on planet earth was behind curtain number two in that old tabernacle. It was the place of all God. It was the place of manifest glory. It was the place where when you stepped in, all that was there was an ark and a love seat. Where you could sit down and commune with God in in just unbroken fellowship. And you would come into this place of all glory. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that curtain, which was four inch thick goatskin, skin, ripped from top to bottom. And out from behind curtain number two came the highest concentration of the manifest presence of God on planet Earth. And where did it go? Inside the believer. You are the highest concentration of the manifest presence of God on planet Earth. You are. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when it says temple, it's not saying outer court. It's not saying inner court. That word temple is you are the most holy place. In other words, you are the container of the manifest presence of God on planet Earth. Do you realize that there's nowhere you can go where there's a higher concentration of the manifest presence of God. You, you can't go to a Bethel healing rooms or you, 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 you can't go to this meeting or that meeting or, or this place where the glory is poured out. There is not more glory there than there is here. Yeah. This is the highest concentration of the manifest presence of God on planet earth. What every Israelite longed for What they dreamed about. What every priest thought one day perhaps I could step behind that curtain. And there you are living with that glory behind the very curtain of your heart. If we don't start from that place we won't end in the right place. That David's tabernacle is not courting God from a distance. David's tabernacle is accessibility of the manifest presence of God to all of humanity, which was the dream of heaven in pouring out his spirit on all flesh. And I, I have to tell you this. I don't believe that there has been a prototype yet on planet Earth of a 24-7 house whose focus is abiding in what already is. I don't think there is I don't think there is and there desperately needs to be because I'm telling you that the secret of all fruitfulness according to the book of John is abiding is remaining in him just remaining in him he said listen my words have already made you clean so just remain in me just remain in my love and my love is remaining in you just just stay stay I hear it better In the marketplace songs than I do in our worship songs. They're singing, won't you stay? Won't you just stay? They're talking about human relationships. But because they're representing the groaning of creation, they don't even realize that they're singing the message the church needs to hear. Just stay in what you already have through the person of Christ. Realize that the manifest presence of God is here. That Christ is in you, and you are in Christ, and until until that becomes your reality, you will not be the cultural reformer that you're called to be. The kingdom of God is in you, not outside. It literally says in Luke 11, it says, the kingdom of God cannot be observed. Neither can you say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is not something you do until it's something you are. Until you realize that my home base, my secret place, my fortress, whatever you want to call it, is righteousness, peace, and joy. Not a righteousness of my own. Not a righteousness that I could establish. Not a righteousness I could work for. Not a righteousness I could pray up or pray down. Not a righteousness I could sing into the room, but a righteousness that is by faith alone through what Christ has done. A revelation of righteousness. And when scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God, it says, and his righteousness. In other words, step one to seeking the kingdom of God is a revelation of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's step one. It's step one. Until you get the fact that you're already righteous, you will continue to perform for it and be caught in the trap of dead religion. No matter how sincere, no matter how earnest, no matter how surrendered or consecrated, you will still be caught in the cycle of self-righteousness of trying to establish what only Christ could do in you and for you. And here's the problem, guys. No matter how good our kingdom work is, if we do it in self-righteousness, the world will see it and despise it. Because they hate the self-righteousness of the church. And, they, and their hate for it is closer to how God feels about it than how the church feels about it. Paul said, I consider all things lost compared to the excellency Of knowing Him. That I might be found in Him. Not with a righteousness according to works or law or anything that I've done. But that I would be found in Him. In His righteousness. And His righteousness alone. A gift. A grace. An impartation that is the very foundation of the kingdom of God. And if you try to do a kingdom work. Outside of a revelation Of Christ's righteousness in you and for you. You will find yourself in a trap. You'll find yourself burning out. You'll find yourself struggling to recruit. You'll find yourself struggling to fund. You'll find yourself working and working and working and pumping and pumping to make something good happen for God. But it won't really be with God. Because the kingdom of God starts with seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else will align. Everything else aligns when we have a pure revelation of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is for us, that is in us, that is through us. It truly is an inside out kingdom. Um. In, in Matthew 5.20, he says, For I tell you this, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and that of the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the kingdom that is within you, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Why did it isolate that one virtue of the kingdom of God? Because of the transition between old and new the transition between pre-christ and in christ is the revelation of what christ jesus has done in the death the burial the resurrection the glorification of jesus christ and the outpouring on holy spirit of holy spirit on all flesh so that you could have a revelation of your righteousness in christ and again every good work every self-discipline every self-abasement every uh, laying down of yourself apart from the righteousness of Christ is going to end up in a place of self-righteousness. Romans ten three it says, Since they did not know the righteousness of God and okay. sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Because they didn't know the righteousness of God. And they sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. In Philippians 3, I, I quoted this before, but he said, uh, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the from the law, but that which is only through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Isaiah 32, 17. All right. Now, here's the transition point. Isaiah 32, 17 says this. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace and its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. What's the fruit of living in the righteousness of Christ? Because in Isaiah, he's prophesying a righteousness that would come. We live in that righteousness that came. And he said the fruit of it will be peace. And it will be quietness. Come on. How do you silence the the voice of the enemy? Through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Listen, I was going... I was going to cast out a demon one day in India and, you know, demons will 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 lie to you. And so this person was was severely demonized and this demon goes, you can't cast me out. You haven't fasted. He did. He's like, you can't cast me out. You haven't fasted. And I'm like, you're coming out because it's Christ in me that is the hope of glory, not anything that I've done. You are coming out. And that demon came out. But it tried to lie to me and get me back into the place of works. Oh, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. It's like, no, there is power, obviously, in prayer and fasting. But I'm not going to fall back into the trap of what I've done, what I haven't done. Come on, when you go to pray for somebody and you don't feel qualified, lean into that. Lean into that. You are so not qualified. You could not heal a housefly of a head cold. You you, you got nothing apart from Christ in you, the hope of glory. So... How hard did you pray? How long did you pray? How much have you read? How, how good have you been? I don't care. Hell doesn't care. Heaven doesn't care. I, I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't keep fruits in keeping with righteousness. Absolutely, we should. But listen, you cannot fall back on a righteousness that is anything apart than what Christ has done for you and in you. You can't do it, it won't work, it won't work, and it won't impact, because it's not kingdom. You can do kingdom work without kingdom virtue, but it will not be received. It won't be received. People innately sense that something's off, something's wrong. And so, it says here that what will be the fruit of this kind of righteousness, it'll be peace. Well, isn't it interesting that the kingdom of God that's within you is righteousness, peace, and joy? In other words, the peace will come from the righteousness. The peace is the fruit of righteousness. And what is that fruit also? It says, and quietness and confidence. Come on. How do you get confidence from righteousness? Because it doesn't matter how well I'm performing Because I have no confidence in this flesh at all. I've seen as many miracles when I'm doing bad as when I'm doing good. I've seen as many miracles as when I'm fasting and praying as when I'm gorging and feasting. Why is that? Because I've learned that the secret to all fruitfulness is remaining in Him. It's abiding in Him. And in what Christ has done. And I'm just saying guys that. Part of this prophetic reformation is a revelation of the kingdom of God inside of you so that we can begin to manifest the kingdom on the outside. But it has to be an inside-out kingdom. It can't be just what we're trying to do for the kingdom. It just doesn't work. It just, nobody believes it. Nobody believes it. (laughs) Righteousness produces peace, quietness. And confidence, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Not the self-righteous. they're just annoying. <laughs> it's so true. It, it annoys you. Your self-righteousness annoys you. But the righteousness in Christ, an impartation of righteousness. when God said, "Be holy, for I am holy." It wasn't a command. It was an impartation. He didn't say do holy because I'm holy. He said be holy because I'm holy. I'm giving you an impartation of my holiness. I'm giving you my impartation of my righteousness. I'm setting you apart by putting my nature inside of you. Your new creation, your new nature is the nature of Christ. God's dream was never just to forgive you. God's Dream was to forgive you so he could free you, so he could fill you with the same thing that fills God Himself. And if you stop at forgiven or you stop at free, you have missed the whole point. Because the point of forgiveness and freedom was that you might be filled with the fullness of Christ Himself, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. And that's what God has already done in the new creation. That's what God has already done in the new covenant. And that's why the message is remain in me, abide in me, abide in my love. In other words, it's already an ever-present reality. Live from that place of his righteousness and you walk in the peace that transcends understanding. You walk in a peace that is a principality. Jesus said, I'm the prince of peace. All right? That word prince is the word principality. It's the word Territorial spirit, come on. The church, in an hour like this, where everything is being shaken, where nation is rising against nation, people can start to panic to think about the end times if they miss ground zero, if they miss God's spirit has been poured out on all flesh, on every son and daughter, so we could have visions and dreams, so that we could push the kingdom inside, outside, because we have a peace that passes understanding, and our peace comes from a principality of peace. It comes from a territorial spirit of peace. What what would happen if the church, its members, began to manifest such peace beyond understanding? That people couldn't get what's going on. That people couldn't comprehend what's going on. The kingdom work must have the kingdom virtue. And the kingdom virtue is the righteousness of Christ that produces a peace that transcends understanding. Jesus said, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, give I to you. But uh, I I give you my peace and then, again, an impartation of peace. Peace. Don't try to get peace from getting the answers. Go to peace and you will get the answers. Go to peace and you'll get the answers. And guys, all of us that are analytical, that's harder. That's harder. But you got to shut the thinker down and open the drinker up. You have to just drink in the peace of God... That passes understanding and from the communion of peace begins to unfold revelation. Begins to unfold answers. It's not a pump, it's a flow. And, um, and then what happens with the peace? The peace produces the joy of the Lord. The peace produces the joy of the Lord. You know what, when I see people manifest joy that I know don't have peace, it scares me because they're medicating You know you know how an alcoholic will use alcohol to medicate their pain or their problems so they don't have to look at it? How a drug addict will do the same thing? How uh, someone that's struggling with impurity, they're doing the same thing, actually. They're trying, to, they're trying to medicate a feeling they can't control with one they can. And when I see people... Step into the joy of the Lord that's available to everybody. But when you step into the joy without the peace of God, a lot of times you just become an atmosphere junkie. You're coming for the blessing. You're coming for the buzz, but you're not really dealing with reality. And that's not what this joy is for. This joy is that in the midst of going through hell... (laughs) The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not not a band-aid. It's not an escape. It is the empowering itself. It is the strength itself to, to stare it down, to face it, to just go, Man, this doesn't look like what I believe. But I'm not giving up what I believe. I'm going to make the circumstances bow to what God says. And you stand in the joy of the Lord. Guys, joy is not like happiness, which is connected to happenstance. But joy is when you encounter various trials and the testing of your faith. Come on, trials is one thing. Like, do you know how to have joy in trials? Go back to the righteousness of Christ. Go back to the peace of God that passes understanding. Go back to the fact that I'm dwelling in Christ and Christ is dwelling in me and in his presence, is fullness of joy and pleasures at his right hand forevermore. And that's not pie in the sky promise for when I get there. That is my ever present reality of Christ in me means joy unspeakable and full of glory now and just more later, but now. And so I step into that place of Christ and I fight from there. I fight from there. Did you know the word where it says count it all joy is actually a, a military term. It literally means let joy be the general that leads you. It's, joy is not a hideout where we medicate from our pain. Joy is our general who leads us into battle. Who causes us to face our reality with a source that is from another realm. It's heaven manifesting in earth. And, wow, I wasn't going to go any of these places that we have gone together. Um, <laughs> I was going to share this, but it's time, okay? Um, I, I will just share this because it is the convergence story. I'm going to go back to First Chronicles 25. 1 Chronicles 25.1. They appointed three guys. These three guys were Asaph. Yedethan and Haman, or Ethan, or Ethan was Yedithon. But anyway, these three guys were prophets who were training the musicians to prophesy. They were training David's tabernacle how to prophesy with their voices and with their instruments. And Asaph, his name means gatherer or collector, and his job was king's recorder. Okay, what does that mean? He was collecting what God already spoke and turning them into songs. All right, Jedithan was teaching people how to prophesy in the now. What is God now revealing? And um, his name means to praise or to thank God. And then Haman was literally called the king seer. He was seeing what was coming and calling it in through songs. So in David's tabernacle, the prophetic songs they were writing is what has God spoken over us that we need to remember or that we haven't yet seen Let's sing it until it comes so not one word of God falls to the ground. Then Yedithin was going, who does God want to be for us right now? Let's sing that and praise and thank the Lord for who he's showing himself to be. And Haman was saying, what do we want to see in the next three to five years and let's sing it till it comes. We have the king's recorder and we have the king's seer. One is gathering the treasures of the past so that they don't fall to the ground. And one is pulling on our future and pulling our future into now. And as there is a culture here of the prophetic and the apostolic, and there's a culture here that has a 24-7 call on it, I would challenge you guys to be the convergence of prophetically gathering what's in our past a prophetic prophetically thanking what's in our present and prophetic calling in what's in our future wow. of being a convergence of past, present and future. Why? Because that's what David's tabernacle actually was and what they did. But not only that, it's the pattern of heaven. It says, holy, holy, holy is the one who was and who is and who is to come. But they worshiped him. In heaven, they worship from the dimension of what was, what is, and what is to come simultaneously. And when man learned how to gather the treasures of his past, the intimacy of his present, and the potential of his future, and bring them into one place, you're representing the one who was, is, and is to come. And heaven begins to manifest on earth in a whole new way. And I'm telling you that right now the church convergence is at a convergence where it's time to take the treasures of the past of what God has done and what God has spoken over this place, but also to see the treasure of the present of who God wants to be and is being for us right now in this moment. But it's also a time to actually gaze into the future and together to partner with heaven and say, what do we want to be? What do we want to see in the next three to five years? And let's call it in. Let's sing it in. Let's begin to be that now. One more thing about Mary, remember? He said, mom comes to him at the, at the, at the wedding and says they're out of wine. And, she, and he's like, hey, it's not my time yet. And she's like, do it anyway. I know you do what your daddy says, but today you're going to do what your mama says. (laughs) And Jesus does his first miracle to manifest his glory out of time. Out of season, out of time. She made a demand on the future in the present. And I'm telling you that you as a church are right now in a convergence that is a David Tabernacle moment. That is part of this prophetic reformation, this prophetic revival of living fully in this new covenant of manifesting the kingdom of God first in virtue and second in action and pulling the treasures of the past, the present and the future simultaneously into one place that becomes your theology, your doxology and your reality. So, Father, I thank you that there's grace on this, for this house, for this season. And I know that was a lot, Lord, and that there's a lot of assembly required to what I said. But I thank you that each one of us in this room have the greatest tutor on the planet in the realm of the supernatural, the sweet tutor of Holy Spirit. And right now, I ask that the spirit of truth would come and personalize this word for each one. Lord, that you would awaken a sense of destiny that displaces dysfunction and doubt and discouragement and despair, that you would release through the treasures of the knowledge of wisdom in the person of Christ, that you would release those in us, through us, on us, to us, Lord God, that we could manifest solutions in the earth. But, Father, that as we walk into the destiny of our new creation, that we would shine so brightly that men would see our good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. So, Father, may there be a convergence in this moment of clarity, of destiny, and of sending. Lord, of being and of sending. And we ask it to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can I have someone come on to the keys for a moment? Um, We can't just leave yet. Um, We have been in the midst of a move of the Spirit for the last six weeks or so. And this morning, it it was like we felt like a wall. And I was like asking the Lord, well, you know why did this happen today and i felt like the lord wanted to expose in us any places that aren't in full agreement with the finished work of jesus wow. and i just want to say that at convergence we will not worship like jesus work on the cross needs help or needs more yeah. Yeah. And that we need to repent this morning for any way that we have not agreed with the blood of Jesus and the fact that you live in the holy place. You are the holy place. And and there's so much pressure in the body of Christ to go back to this, I'm going to strive to get somewhere in God when you are in God. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And this house is called to worship from that place. We will not try to worship to get to that place. We are in that place. And we are called in this region to be that is who we are. And we bring that into this region. And I just feel like this morning the Lord allowed it to be more difficult because we have, you know, we've just been coming in here every day and what's been happening in the last six weeks has not been happening because we tried harder. Because we just got so caught up in Jesus and what He's doing that we didn't didn't even worry about it. We just let Him be who He is. So I want us to stand. And Lord, we just want to say yes this morning that we are in you. And I just want to invite right now every person that says, I agree with this for this house to come forward right now. Jesus, I thank you for everything you did on the cross that we worship not to get into the throne room, but we worship from the throne room. That there is no, nothing we can do that will ever add to the finished work of your blood on the cross. And we repent and ask and turn away from every thought that would say, if I pray more, if I try harder, If I worship with more expression, Lord, there is nothing we can do to add to the cross. Jesus is the only way. And Jesus, we live in this place with you. And we take our place as a house. We receive this word today. Father, I I hear it as a teaching today, but I also felt that there was... that there was a correction for us in this word today. And so, Lord, we come and say yes to you and we turn aside from any striving to try to go somewhere where we already are. We come away from any striving. To be more righteous than we are when we are 100% righteous in Jesus. We turn away from any striving to go somewhere that we live and that we've already been seated. And we thank you, Jesus, that it is all in you and we say yes to you, Lord. Yes, we take our place. We take our place as a house. We take our place with this word of convergence that have been spoken of the Jesus who was, who is, and who is to come. And we say yes to that convergence, Lord, in everything that we do.
1: Yeah, I just kept hearing, are you willing to be reformed? The reformation is on the inside of us. The reformer is on the inside of us. I felt today like there was an invitation into this reformation, but it starts with us being reformed. And I, I saw like in the 90s, we dreamed of being a resource center. And we became a resource center. And then we dreamed of being an apostolic community and we became an apostolic community. And I believe that we are moving into being a reformation power. And there's a reformation happening today. Are we willing to have our minds reformed? Are we willing to have worship reformed? Are we willing to have prayer reformed? Are we willing? To have church reformed? Are we willing to have Christ in us, the hope of glory, as our plumb line? I just feel like we're saying yes, we're stepping by coming up, we're just stepping into saying yes to God that the Reformation starts with us. And it goes into what God is building right now of convergence as a Reformation power. As a Reformation voice. We just say, yes, we align. We align with the truth of your righteousness.
3: one who has been here a while, who has seen, who has seen you move, who has seen you bringing us. And Lord, we just say, this is a place that answers the call. Whatever call you make, Lord, we say yes. And Lord, I, I just, we bend to your call, Lord. We' bend to the Clarion call, Lord. And we don't even know what it means, and it's a good thing. We don't we let go of any interpretation of the call. and we just say yes. We say yes, 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 to the Reformation, Yes to the call. All that you have, Lord, all that you have.
0: Yes, 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 yes. That's your heart. Say yes, 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 Lord. We say yes, yes. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Do you have? You guys say? a word. You good? Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Lord. Let's thank Him. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Yes. Yes.
2: Yes,
1: Everything else. Yeah, I'm just going to say yes to the assembly required. We're all here for it, right? And I'm just telling you that we have crossed into something. It's like our past just entered our present and our future is pulling on our present. There is no going back. How are we going to occupy this place? and move forward that's where we are so yay yes
0: yes all right amen we'll bless you father thank you that where you go this week the fullness of God is present (laughs) the most concentrated portion of the presence of God is in you as you go this week and I bless you as you as the Spirit of God manifests through you, to you, in you, in every place this week. Thank you, Lord. Amen.